0: hi my name is paddy butler this podcast is brought to you by liberia a bookshop by second home coming up i catch up with mathematics supremo marcus de Sotoy to discuss his new book the creativity code so lots on maths fractals and the evolution of human creativity there really fascinating stuff with him while my colleague lara monroe interviewed curator maria maraxial who has put together an incredible exhibition of alan Sekula's photography at Marion Goodman Gallery. Just before we catch up with Marcus, there's a few titles that have hit the mark with us in in terms of richness uh, in the past week or so. And given there is so much out there, be it fiction or non-fiction, it was hard to, to choose from, really. But we went for three. Valeria Lucelli's Lost Children Archive is on everyone's hit list I guess at the moment she's just such a talent and it's the Mexican author's third novel and a heartbreaking take on the American road trip genre the book itself comes out of the author's voluntary work as an interpreter for the undocumented child migrants who are appealing for asylum in the U.S. so yeah pretty heavy stuff and a first-hand an immediate take on a series of very shocking issues so I mean although it is heavy She's just such a literary talent. I, th- I think this is really right up to the top of my list for sure. Next, uh, I think Gendered Brain by Gina Ripman strikes me as one which will be very important in the future in terms of looking at neuroscience, identity and genetics. And, and to be fair, we've had an embarrassment of riches when it comes to those respective um, interests or or investigation in, in those three different subject matter. rip shatters the myth of the so-called female brain. Um, it shows how gender and, and and you know the messages that are fed to young children, young blossoming minds sculpts and gradually ingrains identity, which is absolutely fascinating. I think it's to do with the plasticity of the of the brain and the growing brain at at that early stage. I remember actually uh, chairing a discussion with the amazing neuroscientist, Dr. Sophie Scott, and she described how, in that sense, the plasticity of the brain means it is always changing with every thought. There's a serious endorsement on our next title by none other than J.M. Coetzee. This is on the back of Siri Hustvedt's Memories of the Future. And her artistic narrator of this tile Primarily explores boundaries, as far as I can see Anyway, it seems to be a prominent theme Which is kind of our late motif, Which kind of comes up quite a lot So, you know, you have the gothic physicality of our living, living in environs The walls, the spaces, etc And also living in the big city with all its shocks and all its joys And it's also interesting, very much so In, in, in the fact that the figure of the witch emerges in the book and this is kind of a trend that we're seeing a lot more of in contemporary fiction, certainly in feminist fiction. The the, the very strong-willed uh, female character and how they're re- represented down through history. And again, the witch figure. I think a- authors there's a lot of interesting writers who are look, looking to redeem the figure of the witch. And and I guess that's in reference to the Salem witch trials, but also the 17th century. Barbaric torture of strong-willed women who were deemed witches. Yeah, there are three titles um, for this week, but also, you know, keep in mind there is so much more out there. It's it is a bounty of riches. There's no doubt about it. Um, but these should keep you going. But now let's uh, let's talk to Marcus. Uh, sorry, just to go back to the the, the, the whole patterns and the structures thing. This is an evolutionary thing that you go into in, in relation to humans, and going back to, and I and I and I guess it's it's quite important going back to cave paintings. Yeah, you you have seen, you know, in analyze or I suppose art historians or anthropologists have understood that there are specific patterns in some of these depictions in, in these cave paintings. Could you go into a little bit about that, like the moon cycles? I think yeah, exactly. is quite
1: important. Yeah. Um, Well, again, you know, looking back to evolution, uh, of course, uh, the the same thing has happened. Those humans whose brains were programmed well to pick out patterns Mm -hmm. are the ones that survived because they weren't eaten by animals who were symmetrical in the undergrowth. So, you know, we've had machine learning, which has resulted in, I think, kind of, no, not machine learning, but, you know, human learning. Yes. That our our ability to spot patterns in, in the mess around us has that is doing mathematics wow. has, has led to a brain which can survive. And the ones who couldn't do that didn't survive. That's exactly what we're seeing in, in AI at the moment. I think a replication of that, but what's fascinating is, you know, I, I was very interested in, if we're looking at the evolution, early evolution of art by AI, well, mm. what was the early evolution of art in us as humans? Why mm. did mm. we create art? What was this, these pain, cave paintings about, mm. um, and some of it is, um, you know, it's about communication. It's, it's about, about.
0: It's also about prediction, isn't it? Yes,
1: exactly. So, you know, those, if you go to Alaska and you mm. see the cave paintings there, amazing depiction of animals, um, way beyond anything that is strictly necessary if you were just trying to tell people where animals are. You know, yeah. there's a beauty about yeah. those. So, um, it's about some sort of excess going on there. Right. And that's probably what we're hearing in birdsong as well. You yeah. yeah. don't have to do the, the, the complicated. So. So it's interesting, you know, is this just an expression, is that sort of an expression of, look, I've got so much energy to waste, I can do it. And there is indication of, you know, tribes allowing somebody to spend uh, months and months carving something, which, uh, you know, we've done tried to make replicas of some of the carvings out of bones. It takes months to make these things. To allow somebody to do that within the tribe when everyone else is going out hunting is a very interesting, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, why would you allow somebody that space to do that? Yeah. But in the caves in Lascaux, what's very interesting is you see um, some, some dots appearing, and those dots have meaning. They're a pattern helping you to predict the moon cycles, which allow you to know when certain animals Incredible. are easy to hunt. Yeah. Um, so there you've got uh, somebody discovering something, communicating it through symbolic representation yes. on the wall there. But then again, you've got just, of course, you know, those early handprints. Um, yes. what, what's that? Well, yeah. you know, I think that's a very existential statement. If you go to Bronowski, when Bronowski mm, in The Ascent mm, of Man goes mm. down into those caves and he gets very excited <laughs> by it. He says, you know, this is Man saying, you know, here I am. I am here wanting to express its uh, sense of self. And I think that's... Identity. Exactly. And I think that's, that's really key to... The evolution of art. And I I make the conjecture in the book that I think maybe the emergence of creativity, Mm -hmm. which happens actually quite late on from the emergence of tools. What are we, how how far, 50,000? 40, 50,000 years ago. I think you're starting to see things which are sort of art for its own sake rather than art for utility. You know, I want to make a nice tool. Yeah. Um, So, and that's way after, uh, you know, the human species was making tools and things. But I wonder, you know, is that coming in with a sense, uh, an emerging, stronger sense of our conscious internal world? Is consciousness and true creativity really much more enmeshed in, in than we think it is? And therefore, you know, I think that uh, that's the challenge for AI. AI may be able to push our own creativity. Mm. It may be able to make some interesting new things. But who's where's the intention coming? Yes. The intention is still coming from the programmer, yes. us as humans. Um,
0: yeah.
1: I think it'll be the exciting moment is when we have conscious AI. And I think it will happen. I think it's a long way away. And mm-hmm. I, mm. you know, it's taken millions of years for this equipment in our yeah. heads to become yeah. conscious. It's not clear we can.
0: You know, and free will as well, yeah. that's, which is, that's which is the, part of that. That's yeah. the essential thing, isn't it? Yeah. That's one Although of the. I think
1: free will is an illusion, frankly.
0: Oh, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, okay. Let's play it fair. If if it is free will, then how are we creative? Then.
1: Yes, uh, I think this is. Um, uh,
0: or if we don't have free will, sorry. If we don't, if if, if no, exactly. If free will if we don't have free
1: exist. will. Um, then isn't everything deterministic Auto- and therefore already yeah. entailed in what we've. Already done. Yeah. Um, or genetic,
0: I suppose, genetically, yeah. And I think determined. this is a
1: real issue when we come to AI because mm. um, how are you creating something unexpected? Mm. I mean, we should perhaps define what uh, uh, creativity is yes. because and i give a definition which i think is quite a useful one which margaret bowden margaret bowden yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and actually i was on a committee with her at the royal society oh, looking at the impact of machine learning and this is where i, I learned it oh, incredible from her and she says creativity involves something which is new mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well computers can make new things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very easily but it should have value and mm-hmm. it should surprise us
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so where does that kind of uh, surprise come from the, 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 for a machine? Because, you know, if you're programming the thing and it's just a deterministic program, uh-huh. then surely, as you say, isn't the output kind of uh, almost determined by... By humans. By the, the humans and the code. Oh, yeah. Um, and so how can you really get something surprising? I mean, of course, that's the thing. You don't know um, what the implications of your code are. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's why I talk about two different elements which often get put into code to make it creative. One is randomness. Yeah. So to put in something which creates randomness. And I think that's an unsatisfying way to create uh, something surprising. Why 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 is that? Because mean? it has no intentionality. Okay. It's there's no reason for okay. it other than the randomness. Only thing is while more. Is that
0: now, actually can we go go into there is randomness and determinism as yeah. well, isn't yes. there like and I guess mathematics, sorry, am I getting this wrong? Mathematics is determinism. Well, we like
1: determinism because we like equations which okay. control the, however. Physics uh, is, ra- is random. Well, currently. On a phys- quantum level, On I a guess. quantum level. Yeah. And that, but that's, you know, it may not be the yeah. truth. It's yeah. the truth at the moment. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's one of the topics I talk a lot about in my previous book. Uh, yeah. What we cannot know is yeah. um, that tension between, is this actually genuinely something we can't, know the mm. evolution mm. of a quantum system mm. um or is there some mechanism we haven't quite worked out yet mm, um mm, mm, mm. so there's a real question whether anything's random in yeah. this universe <laughs> um uh you know it might be that quantum physics is wrong and there is um some sort of strange mechanism at work um but i think even if this is the point i think okay. if, even if something is deterministic mm-hmm. um It can be chaotically deterministic in a mathematical sense, which means it can be very sensitive to small changes um, and go off in a completely new direction. And what I'm seeing is that a lot of the interesting AI... um, So I I talked about Ian Cheng's work at the Serpentine Gallery where he creates... um, He creates six characters called Bob who all start off the same, with the same code. But according to their interactions with the environment, the visitors to the Serpentine, um, their code begins to change in a deterministic way, not a random way. But by the end, there are six totally different characters that you encounter in that gallery. Wow. So I think um, even if something's deterministic and there is no free will, that doesn't mean that there won't be surprises coming out from the input because the output could go in many wildly different directions.
0: Okay. So like, that's almost Darwinian, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like, you know, the evolution is determined, but you have a kind of a, well, a mutation, shall we say?
1: Yes. Now, this is very interesting because the the other um, thing I look into is the different forms of creativity. And Mm. again, Margaret Bowden is very nice on this. Um, She has kind of exploratory creativity, which is um, just pushing things to the extreme. So it's playing within the rules, but how far can I push the rules? Then she has an idea of combinatorial, combinational creativity, where, you know, take two fields which look completely different, but maybe you can fuse them together to make something new. Beautiful, yeah. But the mutation one, which you refer to, is Mm. is sort of like the transformational, when something totally new happens, either from a kind of random kick Mm. From the, you know, if you're looking yes. at evolution, that's what happens—a little DNA uh, change from yes. the randomness in your environment, and suddenly something new, which has value, emerges. Yes.
0: Well, that was an absolutely fascinating discussion with Marcus Sotoy on his new book, uh, "The Creativity Code," and uh, that's out at the moment. Incredible the relationship he articulates there between, you know, mathematics and human creativity. So, on that note, uh, my colleague Laura Monroe got to speak with the curator of a new exhibition which is opening at uh, marion Goodman Gallery in London, Central London. Curator Mary Miraxol has put together an amazing uh, selection of the late photographer's work. Pioneer himself in a certain style of documentary photography and it's interesting that he uses photography to to express his creative ideas given it is a mechanical it is a machine in, in essence. So you know, it extends that debate on, on you know, our relationship to machines and human creativity, and in the wise words of Walter Benjamin, "Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction."
2: I've been working with Alan Sekula for a few years, yeah. and then he disappeared. And I did a big show in Beirut after that. I met him around a translation I did of his writings, who are. Very. It, he he was a very famous writer of yes. a book of eighty four. First named Photography Against the Brain, and these texts I translated. I translated them in French. Almost all of the book, um, and the book was published in two thousand thirteen, just before he died. And this was first collaboration. Meanwhile, I did a show of his in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I did a small show in Paris, and then the big show in Beirut because we had planned a, a big monography with Alan before he was uh, sick, and I finally I carried it to Beirut with me, and and it was great to bring him there. Anyhow, there was a different level of collaboration. Then we discussed with Marianne Goodman about his work for a while. Benjamin Buchloh had discussed a lot with her um, about showing Alan Sekula. She was not completely sure. He had a special position in the States because of the book, I must say, mainly Photography Against the Brain is, has changed the history of photography. And it is a very strong critic mm-hmm. in different uh, ways of the, the, the manner of photography was included in the art world. Through forgetness of many of its uh, specificities, which are being linked to events, to the real, to mm-hmm. um, to everyday life, you know, photography is something that everybody can practice, yeah. and it's not just you know, it's not uh, only an art. Mm-hmm. And Alan was, uh, Alan was one of the first artists who worked from this point of view mm-hmm. that you don't need to you know to submit photography to the rules of art you'd better enlarge the art world to the specificity mm-hmm. of and the diversity and uh, of, of photography and uh, so there was kind and he was politically very strongly defending this mm-hmm. position as well so there was a kind of reluctancy in in America to his mm-hmm. work because he addressed very very Early in his career, he addressed the way, for instance, the Boma and Szwarczy was uh, trying to what was not trying was actually showing photographs of Gerbats of the Hotel and all these people as if they were just modernist icons as if they were just formal beautiful objects, mm-hmm. forgetting that they were done in a in a in circumstances that were very strongly Vis- visible on the image Is that were, you know, the 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 moment in the south of America where they had no more water and there was a, a big, uh, how do you say that, starving of the peasants, mm-hmm. and and they had this uh, commission mm-hmm. to go there and photography, it was the FSA uh, project, and for instance, he also talked about the way conceptual photograph photography was completely evacuating the human presence in when there was some relationship to the American landscape, and he said that New Topographic, this amazing show that happened in its Eastman house, was kind of beautiful, but at the same time it was a neutron bomb of photography because yes. no one was showing a human being. So he was always going against the grain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and And for this some of the people who were very involved with the market were not happy at all with his writings, I must say. Mm. And he he didn't care. He was working. Mm. He was not trying to be in the art world. It came late, in Mm. a way. And Marianne is someone who is very politically involved, so she was certainly looking at it and interested. But she was waiting, and now she... She decided to do it and I was so happy. Yeah. So it's it's kind of been slightly on the cards for a a, a conversation that you've had for. Yeah, for a while. And I think the the first person to talk with her about it was Benjamin Buclou for a long time. Yeah, because he was very close to Alain. He was the editor of Photography Against the Rain, he was a supporter, and they had real great relationship in their work, so uh, he was close to Marianne as well, so he was, he's the first reason, I must say. Yeah, I came later. And so, so for you as a curator with with Alan's work, what was it that, what would you say was the the biggest thing that drew you to his work personally? Quite many different aspects, but Mm. when I met him first, I was, Stricken by the way he was relating to life and to everybody, to people uh, everywhere in the street. Not only with the way he was photographing, the way he was looking at them but talking with them and uh, very um, aware of many situations and details and uh, very human, simply. And not ever taking a position of him as an artist and looking a little down to the world around him. He was completely embedded in what he was talking about, which I thought was a wonderful uh, strength. And hes I think something very important in life, but in art as well, is not the truth as something unique, and but the relationship to truth that we build with yes. what we do. And he was very um, aware and involved in this. Then, of course... He learned me how to look at photography because his book is amazing, and uh, texts are very, very important. And uh, I could say that many times when I was uh, after he died, when I was, you know, in Beirut, having struggling with, you know, a lot of things yeah. to make to make the exhibition meaningful and good, and and uh, also sometimes struggling with, you know. Um, the evolution of the art world into a very, very tough market-oriented world. I always uh, think that if I had not met Alan and worked with him and worked with his work, I would probably have shifted to literature or something (laughs) where there's less money involved. Because money is playing a very, very strong part now and it's not very... Mm -hmm. It makes things difficult. So there's many ways I could talk about his work, but my approach was really that he uh, he was inspiring.
0: Yeah. Oh, fascinating discussion with both my guests today. Uh, we'll be speaking to lots of interesting people in the upcoming weeks, so do check out the Liberia podcast and a full listing of our events on secondome.io. See you next time.